Welcome to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Hosted by Priya Anasia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's to your overall operating model. And other times it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It's a journey, and that's why we created this podcast, to break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp, your host for this episode. Today, we have the fabulous Ed Marks, and I don't even know where to describe him. You're, you're Army medic, longtime CIO of multiple successful health systems, host of podcasts, Digital Voices. Ed, welcome. Paul, thanks for having me. I've known you uh, vis-a-vis the industry for a long time, so really excited to uh, join you and chat all things, you know, transformation and leadership. That's great. That's great. And then I would love just to start with, I know I kind of give a little bit of a preview of your background, but would love to get the the five-minute ad as best you can describe it. Yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in Germany. In fact, I just came back from Bavaria where I'm from, southern Germany, and and had a you know a lower income sort of growing up, low income class uh, growing up experience. Came to United States when I was 10, you know, did the typical things, I suppose, uh, you do in your youth, you know, junior high and high school. But in high school, I had this pretty interesting experience. I got my my first sort of like hourly job as a janitor in a healthcare system on a Peterson Air Force Base medical clinic. And so my job was to, after hours in the clinic, clean, basically mop floors, sweep floors, empty trash, dust. And man, something just connected with me, Paul, even though I was wearing, you know, at the time it was Walkman, Sony Walkman, and I was like blasting Black Sabbath or something. I, there was a connection. I was like, man, I'm called to healthcare. And, you know, as a 16 year old, I didn't really know what that meant, but I just knew healthcare was important to my future. At the same time, my mom was always sick in and out of hospitals. And so I just sort of had this connection, like I want to help people, things like that. So anyways, I did that janitor thing for a couple of years. And then when I went to college, I needed money. Again, we grew up low income class. And so I got a offer from the Army Reserve to be a combat medic. And so I jumped at the chance and that helped pay for my college. And, and again, it just reinforced this, man, I want to be in healthcare. I know I'm not a doctor. I wasn't, I didn't do too well in school. And um, so I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I just wanted to do something. Anyways, I did graduate. I became an army officer, but I still had this draw towards healthcare. So there was a local hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado, tried to get a job there, but I was either overeducated, but this time I had a master's or didn't have any experience. So I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Well, finally a job opened up as an anesthesia tech. It was a part-time, like a six-week gig. And so I jumped at the chance. I leveraged my combat medic you know, experience and they hired me. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is really it. This is what I'm called to do. I, I've got to explore this. And so I did that for a couple of months. The person came back that I had displaced, you know, off medical leave, but they created a computer project manager job for me in the OR. So I operated OR IT, which again, I had no experience, but, you know, mm-hmm. they liked me or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I knew how to use a mouse. I don't even remember how it all <laughs> But anyways, from that, that, that moved me into a, a salaried position eventually in strategy. And then our first daughter was born. It was like, 
really scary. We were still in our 20s and she was born without life, floppy, it was really bad. And it's like she was going to die. We were, we didn't know. And my wife was still in the hospital because she had all this trauma from the situation. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And it's like, oh my gosh, it just occurred to me that the IT department, I'd been helping them marketing with this great new tool that they had that you could dial in to uh, the yeah. EHR and you could be wherever. You could be at home or at a party and dial in as long as you had a modem and you could see results and things like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if we sent a tech down to Denver Children's Hospital set them up the software, the NICU docs there could then consult directly on the phone and look at real time at results with our docs, you know, where we were. And that's what we ended up doing. Our, our daughter, her life was saved. She went on to graduate from college at age 18. And it was at that moment I knew, oh my gosh, I am called to healthcare IT to help save lives. And I've been fortunate since then, Paul, to work yeah. with great organizations and great people that helped me because I'm pretty average and yeah. uh, worked with above average people. And it just led to this career. That's amazing. That's amazing. As, as a fellow Nick U parent, I guess is what we're called. It, it's, it is an interesting window in that stage and the connectedness is, is very important. The next question we normally ask is what's not on your LinkedIn profile, but there's almost nothing that you're, is, is not on your LinkedIn profile. But I'm going to steal your questions from your podcast and flip them back to you. What's on your playlist? Yeah. So I've got my U2 sh uh, shirt on, so I've always got U2 going. And yep. lately, though, because I did just come back from Bavaria, it was all sound of music. So while we were traveling, you know, on the Audubon at uh, 200 kilometer per hour, you know, we were all mm -hmm. singing. I was with some of my sisters and my dad, and we were all singing the soundtrack to Sound of Music. And then we tried to reimagine Sound of Music while we were up in the Bavarian Alps, mm -hmm. you know, singing and stuff like that. So it's so that so if you look right now, the last couple songs. And one final one, because I have to say this, Paul, to pull a plug for my one of my kids, is this guy named Bailey Zimmerman. He's a country artist, the hottest country artist right now. And my son wrote all of his songs and is, is his producer. So he's like the wow. number one country music producer in the world right now. So Bailey Zimmerman's on my playlist too. I actually don't like country music, but <laughs> when your kid is producing it, you got to like listen to it. So it grows on you. It grows on you. As, as a, as a sideline country music fan, I, I'd say it grows on you. Another one of your favorite questions is, is what's your purpose? What's your life mantra? I have two, one related to career and one's more personal, although the two do intersect. But on the career side, it's to save lives. Mm -hmm. I've experienced like, you know, you have, you know, in the NICU, you've seen how technology can save people's lives. And so I've seen it over and over again throughout my career. And so that's what gets me pumped up. And, and of course, you know, create great experiences for people. You know, not everyone needs their lives saved. So, you know, we do wellness, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, man, we can save people's lives doing the work that we do. So that's it on the professional side. And on the personal side, again, it, they're not opposed to each other. It's really that in any interaction I have that, you know, not to get overly spiritual on you, mm -hmm. but uh, any interaction I have that people would see that maybe there's a greater spiritual being in our lives than just mm -hmm. what you see in the flesh. And so I hope not to trip people up, but to, but to motivate them to see that there's a spiritual side to life as well. That's great. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. And as we kind of transition into the topic of transformation, you've been at some very interesting roles during very interesting chapters of an organization's growth, life, whatever you want to call it. As we think about the topic of transformation, what are some of the misnomers that you believe are out there when people talk about transformation? Yeah, well, one is I think they believe that when you have a plan, which is important, I'm a big, big into planning that it's going to happen. And that's just not the case. So they'll spend millions and millions of dollars. It's kind of funny because I've seen it even in my own organizations, you know, spend millions of dollars on these great consulting firms and think, oh, okay, now we'll have transformation and you don't. 
So that's one. Uh, the second one is by I titling someone with chief transformation officer or or even if it's an informal role, mm -hmm. that it's going to happen and that everyone's going to coalesce around them. So I was in an organization where I was leading digital strategy for a very complex global organization. But just because you have the title or given that mantle, organizations are very complex and it doesn't mean everyone's going to follow. So those are two that come to the top of my head. That's an important takeaway. I've learned there's a lot of organizations that just want to hire a function or hire consultants. And when the consultants are gone, we're all done. And if the organization's DNA doesn't change, nothing really happens out of it. It's kind of, I kind of equate it to like ethics. Like you don't have like a, a chief ethics officer, officer, only one person's in charge of ethics. And it's just over there. If it's not getting woven into the organization, it really is, is, struggles to take shape. We studied this extensively. You know, I, I was fortunate to author or co-author a couple of books. And, and one of them, where we looked at transformation specifically, we found no difference if you had a formally titled chief patient experience officer or not, uh, the outcome was the same. It really had to do with the culture of the organization. So I'm not saying it's bad to have a patient experience officer, but you don't have to have one. And just because you have one doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, no, totally agree. And it, it's how it's kind of baked in and connected in. You know, we see that with, you, you mentioned patient experience. We're now seeing that with chief equity or health equity officers, things yes. of that nature. Like if you're not doing something systematically, it's just a celebrity. Yeah, I've always like, I want to be a doer. And then, you know, that's kind of what's driven me in my career. And, and it has enabled success. Because I told you I'm pretty average and I really am but I'm a doer. So I didn't just like pontificate or, or wait for a title or a special crowning moment. You just do. And when you do, transformation happens. If you sit around and pontificate and strategize and only strategize and never execute, you know, you never get the results. That's why you know, we talk a digital transformation, what, at least for our, our entire career, mm -hmm. and what it really hasn't happened in, in, in a big way. Yeah, no, agree. And then as we go to the other side, what do you think are some of the quintessential elements a successful transformation, either getting one started or and or executing it? Yeah, I think number one, stealing a phrase from, I, I mentioned I was an army officer. So we had these nine principles of war and you and Chen Zhu and others also uh, talk about this and Bismarck is unity of command. So again, you can say, Ed, you're gonna lead digital transformation or whoever. Everyone has to unify behind that person. And what you find in, in organizations is everyone's got their own thing and it requires humility. So the answer is humility. So if I'm out there and I say, I'm in charge, you know, CEO said, I'm in charge, you need to do what I say. It's not going to work. And at the same time, if someone else is put in charge, I need to respectfully challenge that person to get better ideas and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to follow that person's lead. They've been appointed. I've been part of it. Uh, so it requires humility. And oftentimes, because you are encroaching, when you do transformation across a complex organization, you're encroaching every area, HR, finance, supply chain, operations, clinical, everything. And so it really requires this level of humility to say, hey, I need your help. Let's do this together. But oftentimes we don't get that. So that's probably the number one thing is just humility and unity of command. Yeah, no, those are good call-outs. I think that's a, a big takeaway of what I've seen as well as transformation requires change. And there's a lot of people in the organization that didn't come to an organization to change. And I've often seen halfway through transformations going, this isn't the job I wanted to take. You guys are, yeah. are moving the organization. If you don't have people excited or at least aware of what's going on, and to your point, a little bit of humility, like we don't know what we're doing and we're all having to do something different. But if you're not believing in the transformation where it's going and how you fit into it, you get that 
disengagement going, that's not why I came here. And you get really some sour energy out of yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, you talked about it already changed, but it, it's so, it was so eye opening when I first became a CIO many years ago and it was at university hospitals. I decided to meet every employee in it, but I didn't want them to come to my office. I literally went, you know, I took a couple of days, went to everyone's cube or office, whatever their environment was. And what shocked me, because I was sort of new to IT, what shocked me was that I entered the era of which they graduated, meaning if they had graduated in the 1970s, when I went to their cube, and this was 19, uh, oh, this would have been early 2000s. When mm -hmm. I went to their cube, it was still 1970s. The technology was still 1970s. I always expected in IT, especially that people would always be the first to have iPhones. That was another thing, you know, so advanced, you know, into their maybe 10 years ago, like a Texas Health. And all of a sudden, everyone started showing up with iPhones and iPads, except for IT. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait a second, we're supposed <laughs> to be leading this. And then I realized, it took me about 10 years to figure it out, but I realized that people were comfortable and change, you know, why change? I got this great job. I just do the same thing every day. And so not every, so it's the realization yeah. that not everyone is like you, always like looking for the next thing. Like what's, how can we leverage this to save lives? They just are happy doing what they're doing. So it requires extraordinary leadership to move people off, off the change. That's incredibly important. I think it, we, we sometimes get caught up, particularly in rooms of leaders, because they're self-selected as ambitious people for the organization, yeah. for themselves. But there's a lot of people out there that want to go to work, do a good job and go home. And this yeah. idea of growth or, or disruption is not something that they're chasing. I just had a conversation with a practice manager at a small specialty practice yesterday. And she's like, we don't have an EMR. We have no desire to get an EMR. Well, right. Why not? Like we've got more patients than we can serve. We're plenty busy. Why would I change? It's just like, well, good point. You know, if you're a small independent practice and you're not trying to grow or, you know, you know, raise capital or promote people or pay off lenders, right? sure, go right ahead. But we, we forget that because in a room of high powered executives and tossing consultants, we're like, well, we've got to grow and we've got to change. We've got to make things better. There's a good chunk of the organizations. It's just fine going to work every day and getting a paycheck and actually right. doesn't want to change at all. Right. Yeah. So it really... You have to double down as a leader to help people in that process and, and show them the why. This is why you want to change because you want to save people's lives or whatever it might be, the increase the wellness of the community. And you got to get you got to develop that empathy, help people with empathy and, and understand. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned kind of those the, the 80s and 90s. If you could kind of go back and, and tell yourself one thing back in that chapter of your life, what, what advice would you give yourself? Yikes. I would say to embrace the mantle of authority that's given to you. So I struggled with that the you know earlier in my career. I was given the authority but lacked the confidence to wear that mantle. So I recall when I first became CIO again going back to university hospitals in the early 2000s, you know, I had the authority to do certain things but for one reason or another insecurities, you know, I'm new a lot of different reasons. And I didn't walk in my authority. So if I could go back to my, you know, 20 or 30 year old self, it'd be walking your authority. It was the same as an army officer. You know, I was a combat medic first. So I was this private. So literally I was in a reserve unit where everyone knew me as, Hey, the, they call me doc, right? Cause I was a medic, mm -hmm. but I was really like a private first class marks. One day I show up as cadet marks. Cause now I'm in ROTC and I'm officially a cadet. 
And now I'm leading a platoon. And uh, it was hard for me. It was hard for them. And it was all that authority. So finally, it took me about a year. So finally, this major sent me down. And I was like, Cadet Marks, you need to operate in the authority that's been granted to you by the United States federal government, you know, the army. And so I did. I, and I, you know, I was helpful from a spiritual side as well. And I was like, oh, I need to do this. But I had to be reminded of that multiple times in my career, actually. So that's probably the one thing I would say to myself is embrace the mantle of authority that's given to you. That's great. And then you also brought up a topic that we haven't spoke about specifically on this podcast series, but this learning vector of leadership. So much of us, like we think about our early formal education, it's accounting, it's marketing, it's finance. We don't take executive demeanor in college. We don't understand that. So we're always learning. And I found fascinating that the best leaders are constantly learning leadership Yes. And those skills are incredibly important to transformation because when there's doubt in leadership and we're all uncomfortable, that's the funny thing I'm learning yeah. in the last two or three years. Almost all great leaders have high anxiety and think they're failing at any given time. It's making me more comfortable with my anxiety. But the idea of knowing what leadership is, knowing what your leadership profile is, what your skills are. But I'm seeing a lot of that in your story as well, if that's a, a fair summation. Yeah, you know, you have to always be in learning mode. And I almost take it like, hey, if you don't continuously learn and try to up your game and capabilities, someone will pass you. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you're okay with that. But I, I never was. I was like, I want to be, you know, I was very driven. I was like, I want to be the CIO of the Cleveland Clinic. Okay, so I was always working on all the things for leadership and teamwork and various aspects of that because I knew a lot of people wanted to be CIO of Cleveland Clinic. And it doesn't have to be Cleveland Clinic, right? It could be any organization mm -hmm. that inspired to lead. So you had to do that. It's like, you know, I played a lot of competitive sports growing up. And it was the same thing. I wasn't naturally gifted. You know, I played a lot of soccer. I wasn't naturally gifted to play soccer as gifted as some other people, but I had this ambition and this drive and this vision and this passion. And I knew I had to work harder than others in order to achieve the success that I ended up achieving. And I, so I bring that same mindset into the workplace. And so always learning. Plus it's kind of fun. You don't want to be stagnant. You want to be in a continuous learning mode. That's what I've learned is just the, the change brings variety. It kind of adds energy. It kind of refreshes the soul, so to speak. But, but I really agree with that completely. On the role of CIO, and you mentioned this about the phone pieces, I find it interesting that the CIO in most health systems tend to be defaulting as the head of innovation or head of digital, which I find fascinating that in other industries, it's not necessarily correlated. Innovation and digital are not necessarily with the CIO, but it seems within health systems, there's a higher correlation of that. And I would love your thoughts on why. Yeah. I mean, now you're going to get me in a little trouble with some of my friends and, and colleagues, but you know, I think the traditional CIO is part of the reason why we haven't transformed as much as we should have in healthcare. Okay. So I've always been a big believer in that's why I was always part of Chime boot camps and helping CIO sort of transition from, we would call it 1.0 to 2.0. I call it the postmodern CIO who's mm -hmm. really strategic and is the, I always always say to, to be innovative, you must be innovative. You start asking people to lead innovation or transformation that are not innovative or transformative. And mm -hmm. it always, I always made me scratch my head. Like this is an older example, but it's still actually a relevant one today. So you'd see people or CIOs and you'd see them at the airport and they have a paper boarding pass. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the heck are you doing with a paper boarding pass? 
You know, you need to be thinking, oh, wow, they've they've digitized a lot of this and transformed this, and I don't even have to go to the front counter anymore, and I can print my own bag tags. Hmm, mm -hmm. how might this work in healthcare? I need to be leading this. And so it just blew my mind. And so you have some of that still today. And yeah, it's, it's weird. Different organizations are, are different, but some are realizing that, that while their CIO is great at doing CIO things, they mm -hmm. may not be the best person to do digital transformation or digital officer. Some are. So, you know, I, I would never take anything away for those that are yeah. doing well. Some have made that that change to 2.0 to 3.0 or what I call, again, the postmodern CIO. But many haven't. So you are seeing some organizations go external, bringing in people from Disney or, you know, some right. other consumer goods or finance, you know, other, other industries that might be more advanced and making a big difference. You know, and then I think it's a lot for one person. I was doing both where I came from. My last CIO gig, I was digital, I was CIO. And I had the pressure of just running IT Right. But I wanted to really focus on the digital transformation, but I still had to focus, you know, had to, it was a tricky balance. So, so it's a hard thing to be in operations and at the same time be very strategic and trying to get transformation to happen. So yeah. I can see, Paul, to your point, you know, sometimes it might be best suited to be in a separate role. No, that's a very good, good takeaway. I think we all know people like are on the spectrum. You've got some CEOs yeah. out there that are really pushing the the edge of what we're doing in healthcare. And then we've got the other ones that I, I call our, our HIPAA police. It's yeah. we can't do that because of HIPAA. I'm like, right. well, how did health information portability get conflated with anti-innovation? You know, right. it's these yeah, tensions. Exactly. Well, awesome. I don't want to wrap up before we talk about your new role at Divergent. Tell me more about this organization, what you guys are doing, and what's getting you excited for the coming years. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, it's I, I'm a big planner and have that strategy for my career, and it never included becoming CEO of an advisory consulting services firm. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really looking for it. It just kind of happened. You know, I had a friend who's in a recruiting business, and they're like, Ed, we're looking for someone. And I was like, Wow, I can't blame anyone anymore. If I'm the CEO, you know, today you can blame. If you're not the CEO, you can always the CEO. If I were CEO, I do this. And certainly, I fell into that trap sometimes. I'd be like, oh, if I were CIO, CEO, I do this. Well, now I am. So I was like, yeah. now I can be, and and I can't use that excuse anymore. So so the buck stops here, you know, sort of thing. So yep. then it was like, well, who, you know, I want to learn more about Divergent. I had heard of them before, mm -hmm. and so I wanted to learn more. And I was like, wow, that's great company culture. And they really did. Everyone talks about company culture, but rarely do they live it. But they yep. actually lived it and all kind of stuff. And 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 the owners are great, and and the people I met were great. So anyways. I ended up taking a, a, bit, a bit of a risk as they did and coming there. And what's really exciting is that we have pivoted Divergent now to be that partner that you as a CIO or CDO or CTO would want to partner with. So I took all the things that, that I always had angst with when I met with a vendor, you know, showing me 30 slides or talking all the time, or, you know, just, I would always sit there on the other side saying, you know, if you did maybe two slides or if you did maybe this mm -hmm. or talk about partnership or listened more. Mm -hmm. So we pivoted the company to be like what a CIO might want to work, who they might want to work with. So yeah. that's, that's huge. And then we've really expanded the breadth and depth of our capabilities. So we always had these capabilities, but we never sort of shined about them. Uh, yeah. We never branded them. And so we've entered into a lot of different new areas. Again, new in that we're highlighting them. We've done them, but you know, now in a bigger way. So really including, you know, human-centered design type capabilities, which I'm really thrilled about. I think that's what's missing from a lot of digital transformation. So it's a really exciting time. We're hiring a lot of people and just lifting up our game overall. I mean, we call it strength into strength. We're already a strong company 
And so we're building on that strength and adding more strengths. And it's kind of a super exciting time to, to see it all pan out and work. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Watch out the, the world of consulting. If you've got the right organization, it can be addicting. I, I came to profit with a thought saying, you know, I'll, I'll try consulting out for a couple of years. And that was 16 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so glad you're at a great spot. And then as we close, just as we think about, you know, a lot of peers will be kind of listening to this podcast, but what advice would you have for peers of yours, kind of either leading transformation, helping others with transformation, et cetera? Yeah, well, I think one that might be a little different is to, especially if it's peers who are maybe a little bit further along in their careers, is to serve on a board and serve on multiple boards. And so not only serve on not-for-profit boards where you could just help and bring insights. But I've had this fabulous experience recently, Paul, where yeah. I've been serving on the board for Summa Health System. So it's the first mm-hmm. time I've been on a health system board. It's a pretty big system. Mm-hmm. That has been super insightful. I got to work. One of the fellow board members is, is someone I looked up to, you know, when I was this really young CIO, he was the COO of the health system. And I, you know, I was just like always an on. Here I am now sort of a peer with him in a way. And so it's fascinating to see how a health system works from the from the board level. It's an education. And we talked earlier about leadership. So I've been yeah. learning so much from the CEO who's like knees, cleans bees, whatever the phrase is. I mean, he's awesome. And the medical staff leadership, I've just been learning so much. So that's a way to learn something brand new in different areas is serve on boards. You're giving back and you're making a difference, helping save lives. You know, it's just, and then plus you're educating yourself so that you can help more people. That's one piece of advice. And again, going back to humility, it's like, man, you know, it's not about yourself. You, you've got to surround yourself with great teams and great organizations and and think of yourself as a servant. Like I'm here to serve Divergent, the people of Divergent. I'm here yep. to serve these health systems that we partner with. So if you can take that mindset, I think you'll go a lot further. That's great. That's really great advice. I do agree with the board pieces. I've gotten a lot from my board roles. Is there something about overseeing an entire enterprise, or at least the conversations around that? Because in any given week, month, or quarter, there's something that needs to be addressed. Rarely have I walked into a board meeting going, oh, that was an easy quarter, and this next quarter looks really easy. Like It's never that way, and it, it, it shifts your perception no matter who you are in the organization when you know the whole ecosystem of what's going on with a business at any given time. Totally. I agree with that. Ed, thank you so much again for taking some time to share your story. Really appreciate it. Paul, thanks for having me. It's such an honor. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. If you like today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.